Hello and welcome everyone. Um, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're joined uh, by uh, Tony Rivera, uh, Azure Minerals, uh, Aussie focused uh, explorer, uh, developer, um, with a little bit of Mexican thrown in there, and Mike Jones from Impact uh, Minerals, uh, a prospect generator and explorer in, in Australia. Hello, gentlemen. Um, thanks for joining us. Before we kick off, um, I'd love it if you could give us an introduction. Um, Tony, let's start with you. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, my name is Tony Rivera. I'm the managing director of Azure Minerals. We formed this company about 19 years ago, and for most of that time, we were exploring in Mexico. But uh, then a few things came along which uh, convinced us to refocus back into Western Australia. And so now we're very strong into my, uh, developing an uh, operation for a nickel, copper, cobalt project in northwestern part of Western Australia. And we also have a really good-looking uh, and prospective gold project as well. So we cover the commodities. Hi, it's uh, Dr Mike Jones. I'm the Managing Director of Impact Minerals, also based here in Perth. Uh, like Tony, uh, formed Impact some time ago, 16 years for us. Uh, we've also been to a number of places around the world, but also find ourselves back here very focused in WA, looking for a range of strategic and battery metals that are obviously in much demand nowadays. Uh, they're early stage projects, but that's what we do. We're generally a prospect uh, or project generator, uh, always looking for partners to uh, to come in and work on our projects. So uh, and uh, we've... Uh, coming to the start of a very exciting time for the company. Well, Tony, Mike, um, thanks so much for joining us. What we're going to talk about today is um, helping people new to investing in mining understand some of the variables um, to help their decision-making, make slightly more intelligent um, decisions um, because the vocabulary is very different. The geopolitics is, is very different from other sectors. Um, and I think there's um, lots of ways to get this right and there's lots of ways to get this wrong. Um, and you've mentioned a few of them there. Um, already. We saw in 2020 and 2021, these were good markets with good momentum. It was almost hard to get it wrong. Uh, 2022 has um, been a little bit different. The geopolitics has changed. Um, we've seen uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. We've seen the continuing, continuing knock-on effects with supply chain. We've seen inflation coming in uh, and impacting miners um, th you know, through, throughout the um, you know, the, 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 the growth phase from prospect generators through to developers. Um, I would, I would like to talk about some of the, some of those variables which, um, people need to understand. I think you've mentioned one of them already, um, Tony, in the sense that you're an Aussie focused company now only, only because you're looking to divest out of Mexico. So how, what role does jurisdiction play in all of this? And jurisdiction is incredibly important because there are some countries in the world which are like Australia and, and parts of North America and that uh, welcome mining um, and they encourage mining and, that, and they understand that the benefits that mining brings to uh, local communities as well as um, governments and, and the general uh, wealth of the, of the nation in which that, that mine is operating. And there are other parts of the, the world where uh, they're not quite so welcoming uh, and things change along the way. So for example, with Azure Minerals, we went into Mexico in 2006 and it was one of the world's great mining jurisdictions back at that time. But over the last few years, things have changed a little bit. And, and what we've seen is that the, with new governments coming in and, and a much different agenda uh, where they see that there is a, uh, that, that some of these, they perceive uh, foreign companies to be in effect stealing the, uh, the national treasures and they put a lot of hurdles and, and make you jump through a lot of hoops to be able to progress. And so towards the end of 2019, we decided that uh, the Mexico was getting very difficult. So we started looking for alternatives. 
uh, jurisdictions. And then COVID came along, of course, and we said, well, where can we work? Well, the best place for an Australian company is in Australia. And for a a Perth-based company, the best place is in Western Australia. So that's where our focus became. And so we looked around and we were looking for projects which would be uh, involve commodities, which which we saw as being long-term value added commodities going going out into the future. And that would be your, your precious metals, particularly gold, and also base metals and battery metals for the uh, the new age of electrification. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later on. Um, and as it happens, you know, that uh, only recently um, Mexico announced that they've nationalised the entire lithium industry in Mexico. And that's some news that has yet to really break around the world. And, um, and that involves several companies which uh, will have lithium assets. In fact, one of them is a developed mine, will be taken off them by the Mexican government. So this uh, just supports them and, and confirms that uh, you really need to make the right decision as to where you want to operate in an exploration and mining field. And, and for Azure and for Impact with Mike, uh, we've found that Western Australia is probably the best place in the world. I mean, Mike, what, what do you make of that? Because, you know, the, the, most most people who kind of come on my show go, oh, we're operating in a tier one jurisdiction, uh, Fraser Institute ranked number whatever, high, high up number, um, you should back us. And, you know, it's, I, it used to be... I don't know. It was a whole whole page dedicated to it on their powerpoints, and I kind of never really paid any attention to it. But in the last two or three years, it seems that even tier one jurisdictions have their own uh, troubles in terms of First Nations and permitting and licensing times taking longer and and longer. So, is there is there truly uh, tier one jurisdictions anymore? Is is Western Australia part of that? It, it's all relative. And uh, look, it's just getting harder to work anywhere in the world, uh, even in the tier one jurisdictions. But uh, I can tell you, I'd rather be working in a in a tier one you know, jurisdiction like WA that's slowly going downhill and more difficult than, than somewhere like Mexico, where, as Tony said, they think that they're stealing stuff. And so, as you'll have seen just in the last couple of weeks, Consolidated Zinc were having their their concentrate stolen off them in the uh, you know in the front yard. So it's just getting too difficult and too hard to work in many places around the world. And to be quite frank, I think a lot of people who talk who work in those countries talking rubbish about, about how they're finding bound to operate there. And I saw a really interesting interview, which you can Google, uh, between Rick Rule and Thomas Kaplan. Now, for people that don't know, Thomas Kaplan's a famous uh, billion mining billionaire, US, and interestingly did his PhD, uh, I think, in history at Cambridge. And um, he went, uh, decided that silver was a place to be and went out and discovered the San Cristobal uh, silver and zinc uh, mine in Bolivia, made, you know, made his billions out of that. And in his interview, he said he is not investing anywhere, anywhere in the world that is not tier one, full stop. And uh, if it's not a tier one, he's not into it. And I was really taken aback. This is only 18 months ago, I think, when that interview came out. And, and when you look at it, you know, around the world, you know, one by one, the countries are just becoming more and more difficult to work in. We've got raging inflation certainly in South America, increasing poverty everywhere, and and we're getting more autocratic in the Eastern you know, Eastern European states, and you know, so the place is just becoming basket cases to work in. And so, you know, I think coming back to tier one jurisdictions is is number one on the you know number very high, if not number one on the list if people are going to invest um, in those countries. Because long-term, I'm afraid, without wanting to be negative, it's going to be very hard for, uh, for companies to pull off discoveries in those countries. 
Well, if you've got things like nationalization going on in these countries, historically good mining jurisdictions like, like the Mexico, uh, et cetera, it, it's, um, it gets harder to kind of, you know, pick your assets and work out where, where you want to be. Cause as you say, you know, historically it, it was easy to do business there. Do you think that's the case? Uh, it's going to be more difficult for explorers, um, to think about, you know, investing, or sorry, working in these different countries, um, or, or is it going to be easier if you're a developer or producer? I mean, you gave an example of a developer having the assets taken off them in Mexico, tiny. So what, what should we as investors be looking at? And how, how do we, you know, you know, de-risk our investing? Very much so. The, the, there are parts of the world where I'm sure if you have an operating mine, then uh, you're in a better position than, say, being a, a, an explorer, a junior explorer trying to operate there. But I can think of quite a few cases throughout uh, Latin America and, and, and recent times in West Africa as well, where the operating mines have been shut down because of the, the local population have, or even people from not the local population have blockaded those mines. And one of the world's largest copper mines down in Chile right now is, is shut down because of the of the blockades that are happening. So this is a um, it's all part of this ESG, uh, the environmental, the social, the license to operate, the community, and the corporate governance is coming in. And we need to operate under those ESG's principles um, wherever we are in the world. Um, in some parts of the world, like Australia, it's it's quite well structured and it, it's relatively straightforward in what you need to do to be able to have that, that social license to operate. But in some of the other countries in the world, it's not quite so clear cut. And, and you're, you're trying to operate there and you're almost like you're treading on eggshells because you don't, don't want to upset anyone, but it is very easy to upset people. And that why, that's why it doesn't matter whether you're an explorer, developer or producer, you could well have problems in those sorts of countries. So what role does ESG have, Mike, in all of this? And, you know, I think Tony's been quite clear and say, we need, you know, improved guidelines. We need to, mining broadly needs to uh, improve um, its image out there. But there are protests. I was attended one about a month ago myself in London, protests um, against uh, natural resource companies, um, people, um, you know, very, very, very anti-mining. And this, in, the, in the same breath, We've got this, you go woke, you go broke conversation going on. It's, it's polarizing um, at the moment. So what's your take on this ESG and the way funds are driving that, that, that narrative, the way that uh, NGOs are driving that narrative? I just wanted to ask first, Matt, which, which side of the protest were you on? <laughs> I was on the sidelines, <laughs> sidelines taking photos because oh, well, I, I tell you why because it kind of amused me. So you, all these people had come to London, going, uh, you know, you could stop fossil, stop fossil fuels, having arrived yeah. there by car, bus, train, wearing clothes and using um, mobile phones, uh, etc. All produced using fossil fuels. So I just, you know, it was, it was, I was trying to work out what was going yeah. on, Mike. I think. Um, <laughs> Being an explorer, I mean, obviously, um, ESG, ESG is important to everyone on, you know, on a daily basis and, and often a lot of the things that people espouse are really just good operating procedures in my, and policies in my own opinion. And, um, and so, but now you sort of have to more formalise that and, and you know, um, pay more attention to promoting that part of the story because people are becoming more concerned about the environment. Even, you know, the young people today, we're trying to get those people to, in, to invest in the industry. And so, you know, they're looking at one stage of oh, the planet's being destroyed by fossil fuels. You know, what can we do for going renewables? And, and I think one of the problems with ESG is that 
the the rush to get into it and the legislation towards it has outpaced by a long way the investment required to actually transform ourselves from a fossil fuel dominant you know planet to one that is more renewable faced and and a lot of the proponents of renewables have not really taken into consideration how much time and effort it takes to get mines developed in order to provide the metals that are required to you know to provide this new future copper and this is what robert friedland was always on about you know people just can't comprehend the amount of copper um, and nickel that's going to be needed to allow this transition uh, this um uh, you know transition to uh, to occur so we've, we're in this uh, unique space where you know funds for the big money you know, are all driving. We can't invest in this unless you tick this box, this box, and this box, because you know our investors will, you know, all get upset. Uh, versus, well, hang on, we need to dig some. We need to dig holes in someone's backyard. Um, otherwise, we're going to see even more price rises from here, um, because the demand is already set in stone almost um, for the transition to these metals to occur. So it's a very interesting time and a very good time, I think, to be investing in the commodity space for that reason. If you've got like a, you know, a ten-year time frame, because as we all know it's very volatile. I mean, I mean, what about you guys are kind of early on in the mix, right? You know, you've, you know, you've been sort of prospect generation. You've both got big portfolios, prospect generation, exploration. Do, do you get as affected by this kind of ES, ESG uh, narrative when you're having conversations with your shareholders or you're going and talking to funds? I know, Mike, you're, you're doing a little raise at the moment. Um, are they demanding that of you as you know, early in the early stage? Or do you think that's something that's kind of wall you're going to hit when uh, you kind of move further up the you know, advanced exploration or, or development stage? Um, as, a, as an explorer, you probably don't have the, the, the investors who are as invested in ESG as, as some of the major producers. However, as you, as you grow and you, you progress from being an explorer to a developer and then you want to become a miner, those, those same investors, those large investors will start looking at your history, not what you're doing now when you want to build the mine, but what, what have you been doing for the last five years? What is your track record? And, and so you do need to take this into consideration at all stages of, of the exploration and mining cycle. And, and that's what we as, at Azure Minerals, what we have started to do over the last couple of years. And, and as something, as Mike just mentioned earlier, a lot of what we do is actually just good practice. And we've been doing it for years. And so the boxes we're ticking are boxes we've ticked for years and years in the past. You just actually have to have it formally documented in your annual report and, and various other um, means of expressing it publicly, uh, and we do that, and uh, and so it's hopefully when the time comes, and so the much larger investors are looking to put money into our company to build our mines, that they will see that yes, we, this this company has developed a good track record and stuck to it, and, and has performed well. And I might just say from from the Azure Minerals point of view, is where our major project is in the uh, the Pilbara region of Western Australia, we're not very many kilometres away from where Rio Tinto blew up some caves. And that caused a huge eruption, not only in, in Western Australia, but around the world. And because we are in that same district and we are having to, to we are liaising with and, and, and dealing with and, and communicating with the lo same local people who um, were affected by Rio's uh, actions, we have to be more than careful. We have to be um, very, very proactive in involving and engaging with the local traditional owners and, 
of, of the land to make sure that we don't do anything that is going to cause us some blowback in the future. Um, and that's not only sensible from the point of view of we want to develop the project into a mine, but it's also just sensible from the, from the community relations and the environmental point of view, because we want to operate properly. Yeah, it's, just, it's all a matter of just doing the right thing. And uh, you know, doing the right thing all the time, and uh, you know, a lot of those issues they don't go away, but they're there and they're and, and they're managed and they're managed properly. So, um, and um, you, you just you, know, you go through the process. So, so, so some of this, I mean, you know, you both do um, nickel. You've got nickel, nickel and copper as you know part of the portfolios. Um, in, in your case, tiny uh, nickel, copper, cobalt, and and uh, in your case, Mike, you, you know, you've got nickel, copper, uh, PGEs. Does that in this again, and again in this kind of environment, does it make it is an easier conversation <clears throat> with funders, you know, um, wanting to invest into that thematic than say the precious metal um, component of, of your portfolios, um, you know, and 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 if so, you know, um, you know, what is that? What does that conversation look like, or is it just <clears throat> is it just more broadly, it's mining? You've all got to follow the same rules um, before you get our money. I think anecdotally, I've, uh, you know, I've heard uh, maybe over the last six months, you know, people sort of saying, well, look, funds are kind of realising now that, that, that you know, that, that they're full of intelligent people. I know we've sort of knocked them sometimes, but uh, they're full of intelligent people who've got long-range forecasts and they kind of realise that these vast gaps in supply, you know, are starting to look and emerging on the horizon and they're starting to take a bit more of a practical approach. So we're saying, well, okay, if we want this revolution, and a lot of that's driven by the biggest overall concern, which is the move away from fossil fuels. So they're saying, well, it's kind of the lesser of two evils, you know, having a small nickel mine, you know, versus a giant coal mine, and which is producing, you know, measurable tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. It's like, oh, well, this is actually isn't too bad by comparison. So on that scale, as opposed to no mining at all. But as I say, that's not been affected you know, by me because most of you know, my investors are, um, you know, speculative gamblers but um <laughs> it's not been very fair we've got a very good long uh, long-term portfolio but as we've discussed before matt you know it, it, at our end of constructing a portfolio you know we are really right at the bottom you know the earliest start um tony's had a fantastic discovery up in the pilbara for nickel he's in the sort of the you know, advanced exploration development mode so one step ahead and then obviously we get the uh, you know we get the miners so um you know you, you put in the smallest amount of money and uh, the most risk um, the money you can afford to risk the most into a company like myself. Um, Tony's a bit more of assured of a success from here, and I think the bulk of the money should go into the uh, into the larger miners. But the larger miners, the investment in there is driven by these funds who are having to make these decisions between fossil fuels versus mining. Um, and I think BHP have been criticised slightly because the time wasn't quite great, but they've got out of the oil sector, you know, by farming it out to Woodside. So all of a sudden, they're more investable. Now to these bigger funds. So, you know, it's um, an interesting trade-off. Yeah, and, and Matt, I might just jump in and just add a little corollary for that as well, is that um, these days there's there's a, a big push to, to understand the chain of custody or the chain of where, where the metals have come from. Um, so if you're building a battery, where did the nickel come from? Where was it processed? Where was it mined? How was it done? And so there are now companies and organisations which are offering their services to uh, demonstrate that your, your product has been mined using renewable energy that has been carried on electric trucks to wherever or all these sorts of things get looked after. 
and uh, and acknowledged, and then that that information is passed upon onto the end user who produce a battery who put it into a Tesla, for example. So there, there's this whole new industries of people opening up, offering us out their services. But uh, it it just makes sense is that uh, you do the right thing by the by the operation, by the environment, by the community, and by your investors, and and you should do well. Yes, it's kind of interesting actually that you you guys almost need to understand the them- the the thematic in the future, and and direct your company there, and then they can investors you know play 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 catch up in a way. I think it's interesting. So look, there's there's lots of um, things that can go wrong, lots of th- things that you need to look at as, as CEOs of your business um, to ensure you know future success. Um, I want to talk about the environment today. You've, you've kind of, as you said, we've mentioned Russia, Ukraine. We've mentioned, mentioned inflation and the, and the pressures that will put on not, not just, um, people looking to, you know, build out plants and looking to raise, you know, big, big capex and, and, and seeing the, the costs rise, but even for explorers, you know, uh, you know, drilling staff, drilling equipment, et cetera. It's, it's all kind of gone up, um, in, in price. And, um, but just as you are under pressure, so are retail investors. The, the disposable income seems to be going down, right? Energy prices are rising, food prices are rising, costs, costs across the board are rising. Um, why should those guys um, not hoard cash, you know, to, to make sure they've got money for a rainy day? Why should they invest in mining companies today rather than keep their money in the bank? I mean, you, what, you're cool, Mike. What do you think? That's a, yeah. Do I eat or do I invest in impact? That's a very. Uh, I, I face that decision myself on a daily basis. That's why we put the uh, put the money in. Yeah, your GNA is um, very low. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. So, um, look, you're right about that. All of those sort of things. But in in the Australian, I'll be sort of specific, really, to the Australian market if I can. I mean, in the last eighteen months, right now, you know, people have never made so much money. You know, there's been some incredible exploration success stories, and that's what we're trying to repeat. You know, in impact. Um, you know, DeGray and Chalice and, you know, people have made a ton of money off that sort of things. And so um, notwithstanding the recent volatility, you know, the market is awash, you know, at the moment we've seen, you know, 100, 100 plus floats and there's, there's capital raising that's being done, you know, all day, every day, um, you know, at the moment. And so it's quite clear that no matter what in Australia, you know, we've emerged from the COVID crisis better than virtually every other country in the world. Um, there's a lot of disposable income. People have made good money out of the mining sector. We know it's the bedrock of, of, of the of the country. I think I think one of the good things perhaps to come out of the COVID thing for Australia is perhaps, and I hope at last, an increasing recognition from the public that mining is actually a hugely important part to this country. Um, it doesn't employ that many people in terms of percentage, but it's just the, you know, the bedrock of what this country does. And so um, I'm hoping that, that that goodwill will come over you know, as, it, uh, you know, as it goes forward. Now, obviously, overseas, where things the you know, inflation is a lot worse and disposable incomes are different things, you know, the last thing they should be doing is investing in a speculative uh, you know, stock like ourselves. It's like they should be putting their money into a dividend-paying miner, accept the volatility that investing in commodities brings, but BHP will continue to provide a dividend for the next, I don't know, you know decade or longer. Who knows how long it's going to be around? So that's where they should be putting their money if they have got their money available to, you know, to invest in the mining sector. What do you reckon, Tony? Uh, one of the other aspects, and you, you briefly mentioned on it, is, is um, that the shortages that are out there, um, potentially mostly caused by the border interruptions due to COVID, 
But uh, one of the major issues that we've had here in Australia is, is a lack of people uh, because there's, normally there's about a half a million people a year coming to Australia on, on working visas and they haven't come in for the last two years. And so we we are very very short of people. So that in itself sends rages up, and it sends a, it's an inflationary pressure as well. But um, that doesn't matter whether it's geologists or whether it's people working on the drill rigs or people working in the analytical laboratories or all throughout the industry and 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 extensions of the industry. We we are just so short of people, and uh, it's crying out. And then in addition to that, of course, with uh, with COVID, you're getting people getting becoming ill and staying home, and there's shortages in that respect as well. So we really do need uh, more people to be coming into the industry. So it's, it's and younger people are the ones we want. So we want to encourage people that mining, or particularly younger people, that mining is a really good business to be in. There's, it's a good, steady income. There's, there's opportunities to travel around the country or around the world. And uh, you're, if not secure, it's probably one of the more secure industries to be in. And we'd just like to see more people. So I'll put a call out to all the, the viewers of the, of the Crux interviews and say, if you're a geologist or an engineer or something, come out to Australia. We're looking for people. We are. And I learned today that recent mining engineering graduates, depending on where they're going, are earning, wait for it, 200 k 200,000 bucks for, uh, for new graduates. It's absolutely astonishing. And, and the, there's a corollary of that is that, is that if you understand, studied inflation a little bit, and I've only done a little bit, but wage inflation is actually one of the biggest drivers of inflation overall. And, and once wage inflation starts, so over the years we've had you know, price inflation for products and services, uh, so for products in particular, and obviously as technology improves, the cost of goods has generally been coming down because it's cheaper to produce colour TV now, you know, it's got better, you know, better um, uh, thematics than, uh, than one 10 years ago okay but it's wage inflation once that starts and it's really starting here in australia now paying graduates 200k then eventually everything has to price has to go up and once you've given somebody that salary it's very hard to bring it back and that's what drives you know the big wage inflation so you're seeing that in the us now they can't get people to work for them so you know so wages in mcdonald's have gone from you know whatever it is eight bucks to 24 bucks and eventually those things push through and that inflation is very hard to stop and that's where the problems, I think, are going to start arriving, you know, one by one around the, around the world. The country's inflation rates are going bananas. Turkey was first, Chile, Peru, Argentina, which is not a surprise, and, um, you know, and so, so on and so forth. And, um, and as, we, as people have talked about, as the debt is so high, you can't actually put interest rates up too much before you know, bankrupting the whole world. So... It's very interesting. Well, let's, let's come back to it. Tony, I'm not going to let you off the hook, buddy. Um, I, the question was about investors and, and disposable income. Dis disposable <laughs> income, right? Because what does that tell? Does that inform us? If, if wage uh, wages are going up across the world, does that say to investors, look, those companies wouldn't be paying those increased wages if there wasn't a, um, a big demand for it and a scarcity of uh, those skill sets? Does that say actually mining is in a good place at the moment, or should we be worried that margins are being squeezed? I mean, what, what, what's your call? Oh, I don't think margins are being squeezed at the moment at all. I think that those companies which are actually in the producing phase that are making a product, the margins, because the metals prices are so high, whether it's iron ore or base metals or precious metals or, or things like lithium, and that the margins are incredible. So those companies are making a lot of money, and 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 the big producers are. Uh, distributing their profits 
mostly back to the shareholders. And, and the shareholders are, uh, are actually doing very well out of um, those big companies at the moment. And so where do, what do they do with their money? Well, they usually turn around and probably put it back into some other investments. And hopefully it filters down to the, uh, the midsize and junior end of the market where uh, Impact and Azure are operating. Um, so, but if you've got a bunch of money and it's sitting in a, in a tin box at home and there's inflation happening, as we're seeing now, your money is depreciating in value. So you might as well put it somewhere and hopefully it could, it's either going to be pay you dividends from a big company like Mike suggested, or it's going to go into a, a more speculative uh, company and they're going to make a big discovery and you're going to get 10 times your money back. Okay. So, you, okay. That, that, okay. I buy that. Um, now, there's this session that's for people new to investing in mining as it's you know beginner's guide to um, conversation here. Um, you guys have, have come out of a prospect generation, you know, small exploration uh, players. You've been, been at it a long time. Why should someone new to mining um, have your sort of company in their portfolio? Because I'd, I'd love to love your take on how you build a, a, a natural resources portfolio uh, and what, what the different moving parts should be and maybe the, the weighting of, of each. I mean, Mike, why don't you kick off? Yeah, sure. Um, sound like I know what I'm talking about with portfolio management, but um, it, you know, the, the bulk of the, it's all about- the Investments can go up as well as down, Mike. Did you start with that? Yeah. It's always oh, a good start. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's all about risk management and it's all about how much money you risk, say, on each trade, you know, or each investment. And so one of the things I think people should strive for is to have sort of equal risk and equal equal parts of the portfolio so that you sort of, um, uh, you know, you're not over leveraging or over risking in the more speculative parts, which is what people tend to do. I've done it over and over in my, uh, in my career because, I'm, you know, I'm sure these stocks are going to tenfold and, of course, you know, they don't in many cases because it's, it's exploration, it's high risk, you're against Mother Nature and she's a bitch, so um, she's often against you. And uh, and so, look, I, you know, if you wanted a, some figures, you know, you might have, say, um, and it sounds like it's a large number, you know, say 60% in, in BHP, you might have um, you know, 20, 30% in, in a developer, maybe a little bit further along than where Tony is right now, you know, and then 10% down in the company, you know, like impact and that very speculative thing, because then you'll find that the you know, the overall, you know, port, portfolio volatility will be kind of balanced out. Remember, of course, that commodity, the commodity sector is one of the most volatile sectors of the entire market. So you still need something outside that to kind of balance even that risk. So that, that's a, that, that would be my sort of rough, uh, you know, rough figures. There have been times in my career when I've been completely inverted <laughs> on that and paid, the, and paid the price for it. So. And Tony, what's your risk for appetite? Uh, well, I have a very high, high appetite for risk, which is why I'm a, uh, an exploration job working in the exploration industry. And I love, I love making discoveries. And I, I'm, I've been part of either personally or teams that have made good discoveries that have become operating mines. I, I guess the, probably the best of the, the ones that I was ever involved with was probably about 20 years ago. And we, we found the highest grade nickel mine in the world called Cosmos. And, uh, and the Jubilee, and Jubilee mines went from being a 10 cent stock to being taken out for $23. Um, I went from like a $15 million market cap to a, a $3.2 billion takeout. So these, these markups can happen and, and they, they happen more than people realise. So just with Azure Company, Azure Minerals, my company, um, about a year and a half ago, we made the nickel discovery and we were trading at around about five cents and all of a sudden we we're over a dollar. Now, we've come back a bit since then, but so those are the sorts of markups that, that can happen. So if you have a, <coughs> excuse me, if you have a, 
a weighted portfolio. It can be weighted between the producers, the developers and the explorers. But you should also not just have one explorer in there. You should have uh, several across the board and you might be going into different companies or different commodities. Um, and if one of those has a good success and all of a sudden you've got five or 10 or 20 times your money back. So, so talking about that, that, that's kind of interesting because quite often we see these very angry discussions going on in, in chat rooms where people take polar opposite views on an argument and um, that they're equally determined and they're equally right in their minds. So is managing, you guys need to manage expectations in a way because down at, down at this end, as you say, portfolio approach is the right thing for you guys because not everything's going to work out and so, or not everything's, everything's going to work out in the same time frame. So, you, you know, you need to manage the expectations of your shareholders. I mean, Mike, you're prospect generator right at the, you know, coal face, as it were. You're the guy that makes the discoveries for, well, obviously Tony Sun as well, um, for, you know, future producers. But now in this moment, You've got to say to investors, right, you need to think about it like this. You need to be this type of investor. And this is only, it should only be a small part of your investment thesis because it's more likely to go wrong than right. But if it goes right, oh boy, you can make a lot of money. You've kind of given the answer there in a way, Matt. Okay, next so, question. No. <laughs> but, but, but managing expectations in a, in a, in a junior is, uh, you know, is one of the biggest things because, you know, we're, we're, as Tony said, the excitement of exploration geology, you know, is the thrill of discovery. And, and we want to share that excitement with people about, you know, what we're doing. And but you can't get you can't overpromise. So you've got to kind of there's always a balance between, hey, look, this is what I believe. Uh, you know, you're you're giving me your money because you believe in me. And as long as you believe that I'm doing the right thing and I'm, I'm you know I'm spending the money wisely or you know I'm, I'm tackling the right thing um you know then we can all go along for the you know all go along for the ride but it, it's a if you do that if you over promote too often you know or tell yeah this this drill hole is going to be the one this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread you know then eventually you lose your credibility you know in in the marketplace um and uh, you know people have done that and but you know tony and i'd like to think that you know, we've done the right thing over the years, even though we haven't had the great success yet that we've both been really want. I think Tony's on the verge of it there, and though with more work, um, you know. But but you know, we, we're long-serving managing directors. You know, we've been here for you know for a long time because people understand what we're trying to do, and they're happy to keep backing us. You know, if, if the directors or you know, major shareholders didn't want us to do that, they'd be knocking us on the shoulder and and saying, you know, can we? You know, can we have a change of plan? And that's certainly not, uh, you know, certainly not been the case. And if if I look at the markets at the moment, I've, I think most you guys are okay actually. Um, but if I look at most share charts um, at the at the moment, um, last three weeks, four weeks has been a bit messy. Um, markets are a little bit all over the place. Messages uh, being sent by US Fed, um, by, again, to keep mentioning the, the situation in Russia and sanctions and, you know, how, how the different commodities are reacting, um, to that. It's, it's all driving the price of metals up, which, which, which is good news. But the, you kind of got this disconnect between the equities and investment, investment in the, in the equities for miners, um, in, in relation to price out there. What would you say again? So there's new audience looking in, um, as to you know how, how how quickly things change. You've been through a few cycles. 
um, you know, markets calm down and eventually things kind of, you know, get, get back to um, wh- where they were. Um, but people are expecting some sort of hockey stick type response from the market. Do you, do you think that's a reality or is that just wishful thinking by promoters? I mean, how, how do you look at it, Tony? Um, I, I'd say that there, there, for a long time, there was a correlation, a good correlation between the, the price of the companies, the equity price of the companies and, and the metals prices that were out there. But as you've said, the, the metals prices have gone up a lot in the last 12 to 18 months and, and equities have not followed them. And so there is a bit of a disconnect at the moment. But uh, that, that connection will be re-established. Now, that will either be that the equity, com- the equity in the companies will increase, you know, the pro- company's prices will, or values will go up to, to match the, uh, the, the metals prices that are out there, or the metals prices will come back a bit. But that correlation will be re-established at some stage. But just looking at metals prices at the moment, it's hard to see them coming back too far because the, 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 particularly the commodities which are being used in, for battery metals and, and electrification processes and decarbonising our, our activities going forward, all that is, is crying out for is that more and more material is going to be needed, more and more metals are going to be needed. And if we can't find more and mine more and put more into the market, then the prices are continue to going to rise. And as the companies that produce them, uh, the, the, the prices of the companies that are producing those metals, they will in turn rise as well. And then in time, the developers and the, and the explorers follow that up as well. There's a great uh, graph, uh, if you Google it, um, it's the uh, uh, relationship between the S&P and commodity prices, you know, dividing one by the other. And um, it's quite clear that we're at a turning point you know, in a major shift towards the commodities being you know, the place to invest. And that makes sense when you've got inflation, they're hard assets, you know, at least you know, supposedly maintain their value or lose their value less um, you know, as inflation takes off. And, 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 uh, and so there are all of these things being uh, you know, driving in that supply and demand side. So we haven't invested in the industry enough. Um, demand is increasing on average 3 to 5% per year. Um, that means um, every 12 years, the amount of metal we need, you know, it's got to double. And in that time, we need to mine all the metal that was discovered prior to that um, to get to that same level. So it's the, you know, the law of compounding. So, so the next 10 years could actually be quite spectacular because despite all the short-term volatility that we're seeing in wars and things, the, the world is still growing. You know, there are still things to be built and uh, you know, that's going uh, you know, to continue. But it's not going to be a hockey stick. You know, we're right now in one of the most volatile periods ever. You know, we've got the, the wars going on. But, you know, China at the moment, the you know, metal prices re- you know, reacting to the, the Chinese lockdown, that's clearly short term. You know, like it's not going to go on. You know, eventually people will come out of there. The war in Ukraine is going to drag on for, you know, that's, that's a major geopolitical turning point. But Chinese demand will return, you know, that's, uh, you know, without, you know without a doubt. So, um, but it's not going to be a hockey stick, more of a sort of squiggly, worm like a snakes and ladders thing that's kind of hopefully going up to the top <laughs> but don't land on 99 and come back all the way to uh, you know to one yeah. okay we've, we've got a little song curve and, and the squiggly line curve um <laughs> i i think well no it, it no look i like i like that kind of measured um response and the, the, the measured approach to what what the future looks like you know i think talk talk of hockey sticks is rare and um probably shouldn't be part of most conversations, so like, I, I do appreciate what you're saying. Um, why don't we, chaps? So, look, lots of topics discussed there. They're the beginning for people new to the, in my, investing in mining. These are some of the topics that you should go and investigate and look at and try and understand before you place your bets. Um, 
uh, and, and uh, invest your money. Um, so guys, I'm going to let you maybe um, I'll start with Tony, just say, Rick, in your opinion, why people should be looking at, at your company in this environment and why the, why the timing's right now. And then Mike, you, you can do the same when Tony's finished. Okay, in the, in the sort of the broader scheme of things, and as I mentioned earlier, with the, the global push for electrification, decarbonising, getting, getting away from fossil fuels, etc., we need certain commodities, certain metals, which are used in batteries and in uh, being able to transmit electrical power from one place to another. So that's your, your nickel and your copper and your cobalt in, the, in one end of the batteries. It's, it's your lithium and, and uh, graphite in the other end of the batteries. These are the things that are are going to be needed in, in much, much greater uh, proportions going forward. Um, and you know, we will need already there was there was a report out today saying if all of the electric cars that were being built that were wanted to be built this year were built, we would need twice as much metal as we are actually producing right now. So we do need those extra to mine those materials. And as far as your minerals goes, you know, we're located in Western Australia, which is um, a tier one mining district around the world, absolutely. Um, and there's there's a lot less, almost no sovereign risk here compared to other places around the world. Um, we ha have here in Western Australia, some of the great mineral deposits and the mineral prospectivity that can be found anywhere in the world. So all of those metals and materials that I mentioned earlier, that you need for batteries and electrification are found here in Australia. And at, for Azure Minerals, we have some of those under our control. And we have a, a project uh, called Andover in the Pilbara region of Western Australia, where we are currently both uh, doing exploration and resource definition drilling, but we're also in, in the development stage and we're carrying out our scoping studies and our pre-feasibility studies right now as we speak, with the intention of taking going forward and building and operating a nickel, copper and cobalt mine in an area which is uh, one of the great mining provinces of Australia. So. Uh, our company is in a very strong position at the moment. We're, we're well cashed up. We've got a great project which we can see on a pathway to mining in the near future, and, and we're going to be pushing that forward as fast as we can. That's great, Tony. You've uh, you've actually said half of what I needed to say. So uh, <laughs> we're all saying one, and and actually, I think WA just came out number one in uh, the Fraser Institute uh, study. All right, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so uh, we're definitely in the right place. Um, cash is very important. That's why we're doing, um, Matt alluded to, we're doing a rights issue right now. Um, we think that the the, um, the the early stage portfolio of the metals that Tony's described that we have um, our projects for is a fantastic opportunity now for all existing shareholders. And those who aren't can buy rights. Um, it's a renounceable rights issue. They can buy those rights on, um, uh, on the market um, over the next few weeks and participate in our offer. And my strategy is to fund my company for the next two plus years um, right now. Um, and that's a, a quite a rate, quite a lick of expiration um, to get us through these volatile times and give that opportunity to the current shareholders. Um, and hopefully we won't have to raise any money in the next couple of years. And um, obviously we get a discovery, that's a different story. Um, we can always raise money when we've got a discovery. And uh, you know now is the time to be looking at uh, you know impact and uh, what it's doing, particularly over the next two weeks while the rights issue is open. So um, yeah, so look, um, it's a great place to be. We've got, there's lots of activity going on. Um, we're drilling at the moment. Um, we had a sniff of success in our last drill hole. We start drilling again um, on Friday. So hopefully, um, you know, something exciting might happen in the next few weeks. But uh, it's a great time to be in a tier one jurisdiction in, uh, in Western Australia. It's been one of the great places to be the last couple of years. For sure. So, having said that, Matt, I'll be in London in a couple of weeks, so maybe we can catch up. <laughs>